Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Metaphysical Apothecary podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about bioregional witching. Normally, when bioregion comes up, we start thinking about science and the different types of environment in which a person or peoples or animals and plants actually live and reside. Arctic, tropic, subtropic, desert, coastal, mountainous regions. Bioregion is where you live. Another part of bioregion witching is, do you live in an urban setting? Do you live in a suburban setting? Do you live in a rural setting? Yes, there's a very, very common picture of those who practice witchcraft as being the forest hermit or living on the craggy, stony beaches or otherwise being in the mountains, somehow being at one with nature. For most of us, reality is that we're living in some sort of area that is crowded with other people. So we're going to be exploring some ways in which we've crafted our magic in different human bioregions. One of the first things in attempting to hone your human bioregion with your magic and your practice is by attempting to identify the spirit and the energy of the place you're living in. The genus loci. Molly Roberts has at least one video on this. So I happen to live in a urban area. Part of the way that I've been able to identify the genus loci in my area is by looking at things that are really unique in New York City. I'm looking at the grid system, the lights, the theater, the liveliness, the fact that it never really sleeps, the museums, the boroughs, how they connect to each other both on a physical transportation level as well as on a social dynamic level. And the monuments from history, the things that are important, significant, what does that mean for working magic? Where is the best places for me to work magic? Mm-hmm. A genus loci, especially in an urban setting, is continuously growing and evolving and changing to the point where you have to have some kind of active participation with it. Yeah, and I feel like urban setting genius loci have more potential to change much, much more rapidly than in a suburban or rural setting because of the intense human activity that happens around them. Mm -hmm. And it is very intense. Part of our civilization is building buildings, right? Mm -hmm. So you barely pay any attention to a construction site that's happening. Even if there's several construction sites happening in the same general area, you're not usually home to hear the cranes and the pounding of the steel beams into the ground for foundation. You don't hear all of the construction work right they're loud and they're busy and they're dangerous those elements come out and do chase away the genus loci to a place that's not nearly as intense right we know that there are probably urban witches and magical practitioners out there who thrive on the chaotic energy of a construction site and essentially that becomes a temporary genius loci site where the activity the intensity of the energy that's coming off of it can become something that you can infuse into your practice Oh yeah, it's super easy to raise energy because there's just so much energy there already. Mm -hmm. You don't even have to try. Yeah, that's not the case for me because I cannot stand that kind of intensity of energy, but for other people it might be amazing. I actually don't mind construction sites at night because the energy is still there. It's just not as bombastic. At night, the energy is coming down and it's just as easy for me to siphon off energy from that site as it's coming down than when it's at its height during the day. 
Mm-hmm. I can walk through the neighborhood with construction sites and be able to draw energy from there because of just how much there is. And you're not even taking anything away from the construction in and of itself. I just store it away for a period of time until I get to the site that I'm going to be working in. In an urban setting, there are so many different opportunities to find little hidden pockets of magic. And I think that's why so many fantasy settings are now in urban areas. If you think about a series like The Magicians, that happens in New York City. And these cities actually have their own heartbeat. So I grew up in rural Pennsylvania. I live in a different part of New Jersey where we're very, very close to Philadelphia. The first few times that I visited Philadelphia, it was overwhelming. Lots of tall buildings. I felt like they crowded out the sky. My wife, she grew up there. She helped me explore more and more of Philadelphia. And I started to realize there's a rhythm here. There's a heartbeat here. And there's definitely a potential for accruing energy and creating powerful kinds of magic. There's a glass garden called Philadelphia's Magic Garden. There's glass mosaics all over the walls. They've used glass bottles embedded in cement to create walls. There's color and shine and reflection everywhere. So it's like the playground, you could do urban fairy magic. You could do a banishing or a summoning. Use that to reflect something onto you or cast it away from you. Graffiti is excellent for magic street art. Historic buildings hold a lot of energy. We've done a bunch of Grim Philly tours where they take us on haunted tours of Philadelphia. The history, you can really, really feel it. And you could really just embed yourself in this energy and really pull it in and use it to fuel something like an ancestor working. There's something about urban cemeteries that's extremely alluring to me. I don't know what it is, but urban cemeteries rather than rural ones are just about the energy in there. That's great. Urban cemeteries are still in the midst of life. True. And when you go to a rural cemetery, not that I don't enjoy them, but they're usually set aside very far from where all the other humans are. That's very true. They might be between fields, or in the middle of the forest. Some of them are forgotten. Mm -hmm. That's not to say that there aren't urban cemeteries that have filled up and then been forgotten. That's actually happened. There's a cemetery that was forgotten and only in recent decades did a police officer stumble across the cemetery while he was walking up what he thought was a overgrown hill while he was thinking of a case that he was working. He ran across a dead body of a different case in it and realized that this is a live investigation and this is also a cemetery (laughs) that the body was dumped in oh my goodness cemeteries in urban areas can be forgotten but even when it's forgotten it's still lively right it's all about the energy of space which is what genius loci is so you've got these pockets of changing energy in an urban cemetery whereas in a rural cemetery like you were saying they can be tucked away and forgotten about but that has its own allure because Mm -hmm. you go in there and you start stirring things up and all of a sudden activity starts to rise again you do have the energy of space it's a vibration and a frequency that changes based off of where you are, what city you're in, what rural setting are you in, what do the people in that setting do as well, whether it's suburban, urban, or rural setting. If your setting has a lot of churches, Mm-hmm. There's a different energy there. And churches are also amazing places to work pagan magic. I cannot tell you how satisfying it can be to work magic in a Christian church. Just because 
the energy in a church is so often reverent. Going in there to do a cleansing, to meditate, I find empty churches to be the most wonderful uh, liminal space. I've never had the opportunity to do this in an urban setting, but one of the other spaces that I would love to occupy while it's empty and really enjoy being in, even when it's full, are theaters. Not movie theaters, the ones where you go to see plays that have that smell, they have the red carpeting, they've got the Art Deco or Art Nouveau, they've got gilding, they've got cherubs and the scroll work on the ceilings, and sometimes they have astrological things up there. The energy coming off a good performance. And the energy of the audience. Mm-hmm. There's just a ton of good energy in a theater. Yes. See a play or a musical on Broadway or off Broadway. And even though I won't do the magic in the theater, I get back and I do some magic and the volume is turned up to a hundred. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There's something about the synergy of the entire audience sort of being focused on one thing at the same time. The interplay, the harmony that happens among people in a live theater like mm-hmm. that's amazing. It crosses all the old prejudices that we're trying to get away from. Mm-hmm. If you you have a ticket and you have a seat, you are an audience member and that is the only thing that defines you. Mm-hmm. It's transcendent. Yeah, there's a transcendence to it, for sure. When you're in a full theater, I have always wanted to go into these theaters when they're empty. I mentioned liminal space earlier. As a follower of Hecate and and a few other deities who love to occupy liminal space, I love any space that is quiet and dark, but is supposed to be full of people. And theaters are one of those places I would love to just be let loose in there and just use the residual energy in that that space to fuel something really great. Imagine creating a giant crystal grid for healing or for any other purpose on a theater stage. And the incredible power that would have. The closest I'm likely to get is what you were talking about, Shannon, is coming out of a show and then going home and using what I've gathered, what's inside of me, just vibrating, getting ready to let loose, infusing that into something. The only empty theater I've ever been in was the one at Lyco. Yes. Yeah, Shannon and I met at Lycoming College in Pennsylvania. That's where we went to undergrad. So we had quite some adventures there as well. It's a, and when we're talking about urban areas, Williamsport is a small city. To me, it was a large city. But in general, it's a small city. <laughs> Williamsport is one of those places that is just packed full of magical little pockets of space. They vibrate to a frequency that is just out of alignment with the general physical world. Mm -hmm. You go in there and your skin starts to tingle. The little crowded bookshop that we like to frequent Mm -hmm. next to the little coffee place. That was coffee and tea room. Yes, the coffee and tea room. Those places were just out of sync with reality and I swear they were run by fans. Go in there and you almost lose time. And that's Mm -hmm. another magical thing about these spaces, right? Is they feel like you just stand still in time. Mm -hmm. That happens to me in a museum as well as in a library. But when you go to these urban areas that maybe don't have as many museums, finding those 
businesses that allow you to stop time, to stop Mm -hmm. being anxious about time and allow Mm -hmm. your imagination, your curiosity to just be. These are spaces of perpetual present. There is no future. There is no past. And it's just perpetually the present. Mm-hmm. It was like that in the cemetery there, too. We frequented yeah. the cemetery there a lot. Mm-hmm. Again, one of these little pocket cemeteries in an urban setting. But when you walked in there, it felt like you were in a different space, a different time. Mm-hmm. And because Williamsport is a surrounded by rural area, there was sort of this blending. But yeah, one of the best genius loci in that area was actually the college that we attended. You walk onto the campus and you feel your skin start to tingle. Mm -hmm. That's the way it always was for me because I transferred away for about 18 months and it called me back. So we lived in one of the buildings that bordered the quad. And when you looked out our window, the sidewalk went through the center of the square and then split off into three, making an algae's room, this giant room of protection right in the middle of the campus. That's actually the place where I realized who I was magically. (laughs) And also in terms of my orientation, in terms of suburbia, where I have lived for a lot of my life, For me, at least, it's a little harder to access magic. It's a little harder to access genius loci because there's less space for nature or urban sprawl to fully manifest its energy. There are definitely potential spaces within suburbia that can pack a real energetic punch. Sidewalks that lead to nowhere are one of my favorite things ever. (laughs) Yeah sidewalks that disappear. That only happens in suburbia. Yes, it doesn't happen anywhere else. In suburbia, when a town, a neighborhood is created, they're designed, but so are the streets and the street patterns are designed. Mm -hmm. One of the ways that I find genus loci in a suburban setting is simply by walking the streets and trying to picture what the street look like as you're walking them. The pattern you are walking, what does it look like? Does it look like a cove? And is there several coves that are next to each other? So it maybe looks more like a flower. Mm -hmm. As you're walking those neighborhoods, you piece together what does this walking pattern look like as a line drawing on paper? And your feet are the pencil. Right. This is a great way to create sigils. You can create your own suburban labyrinth this way. Mm-hmm. I've never lived in suburbia. I've only lived in urban setting. And I've not lived in, but resided for, like, vacationed in rural wooded area. Mm-hmm. Bears walking through people's yards. I've never actually been in the between. So... I always am fascinated with suburbia. How would I raise magic? What would I do? Mm -hmm. I feel like sometimes suburbia is kind of like a child spilling their blocks. It can be. The street layouts are going to be different. They're made with the intention of creating neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Walking the suburban settings, creating your own sigil and or your own labyrinth has always been a way in which to raise and do magic. Labyrinth walking is old. Tens of thousands of years. Yes. Suburban labyrinth, great way to raise energy, great way to do magic. 
Yep. By the same token, if you do find one of those mysteriously ending sidewalks or a staircase that leads to nowhere, which happens quite a lot too, because they'll tear down the old house and leave the stone staircase. These are spaces where there's almost an open portal in that space. So they're good places to leave offerings. They're good places to charge things. They're good places to enter into a new mindset or a new feeling of energy. You step off of the end of that sidewalk and you step consciously into another vibration or frequency. Maybe you're still on the same plane of existence, but you're consciously stepping into a different vibration of that existence. Mm -hmm. Please do not step off of the stray stone staircase. Yes. If you're going to do that, please do so with caution. They're thresholds between worlds. Yeah. You know, twilight magic works even without it being twilight because it's a threshold between times. The end of the sidewalk is a threshold between two different worlds. Mm -hmm. The staircase that leads to nowhere is a threshold between worlds, between states of mind, between planes of existence. So if you're attempting to reach a deity or an entity in a different plane, this might be a good place to do so. It could be a good place to frequent on one of the sabbats where the veil is very thin. Always use caution. Please don't put your energy in danger. Don't put your physical self in danger. But they can be really great places to go if you want to have that oracular experience, if you're looking to connect with an energy that's been elusive. Also, abandoned places are, again, liminal spaces, me and my liminal spaces. I am going to put a caveat in here. Please don't trespass and please use physical caution when you're going into an abandoned space. Some places are a fair game. Like if a ruin, especially in suburbia, if it's been around and it's been partially subsumed by nature, a lot of times it's public property and you can go and hang out there and no one's going to bother you. Mm-hmm. Again, there's no time there. Past and future exist in the same moment. Yeah, it's not so much that it's a place of perpetual present, but it's a place of perpetual past is future, future is past. It's less of the lost time kind of space that the cafe we were talking about is and more I'm stepping outside of time for a little while. Mm -hmm. I'm not engaging with the time stream right now. There's also an eerie stillness, almost a cold energy that leaks off of spaces like that. Mm -hmm. Try to think of anything like that in rural settings, but the rural ones are usually private property. And they're usually reclaimed by nature pretty quickly. Like I've been in and seen my share of barns, especially, that have been reclaimed by nature. (laughs) There's quite a few hotels and resorts from the beginning of 1900s Mm -hmm. that were abandoned in rural settings. They're still private property, but nature has taken it back. I do know that sometimes if you want to photograph those spaces or do something else with them, study them in some way, you can get permission to go into them. There's nothing in this world that's a liminal space the way an abandoned hotel or resort is a liminal space. Yeah. Dead malls, too, in any setting. Not my favorite place to go, though, even when there's no one around. A dead mall? Yeah. Really? I love a dead mall. 
dead malls upset me because I see them as a solution to mm. a population problem, but no one will touch them. That's interesting because I see it the same way, but from the other direction. Imagine the potential that's here. Some malls have been made into micro apartments and it needs to happen more. Mm-hmm. Spaces like that that have been abandoned and not necessarily reclaimed by nature immediately, they still look relatively well-preserved in new resorts, dead malls, buildings that have been closed and are maybe in disrepair but still look usable are almost like time capsules. So you can almost time travel if you're allowed to enter them. Mm-hmm. So in urban and suburban areas both, one of the things that we as witches and magical practitioners of all kinds should pay attention to, and a lot of us do, is the wildlife activity. Animal behavior in these areas can be extremely significant because when you see something unusual, it stands out a little bit more than it does in a rural setting. Because in a rural setting, kind of anything goes <laughs> in terms of animals. Unless it's an animal that doesn't belong in that rural setting. But in terms of suburban settings, I've talked about before in other podcast episodes about my encounters with Blue Jay and how Blue Jay is native to this area, but does not have any business bum-rushing my patio doors and singing on top of my gutters and calling out to me and following me down the street (laughs) as often as they do. definitely counts as unusual behavior, how how often they call out to me and how often I hear them calling when I shouldn't. Owls do that to me. Quite recently, especially after quarantine, I have not seen an owl, but I hear them. Even during the day? But when I start taking my afternoon, late evening walks, I hear them. The sun has not set, but I hear them. That is definitely animal behavior that is odd because sun is still up. Mm -hmm. But these are things we, as you know, people attuned to spiritual messages may experience in a more obvious way in a more populated setting. Uh We have red-tailed hawks near us. And we have one red-tailed hawk in particular who likes to sit in the hedge outside of our apartment building and just call. She'll just call all day long, that siren kind of call that they have. And she likes to buzz the car. We were (laughs) unloading groceries couple of weeks ago we were in the back of my wife's vehicle pulling groceries and the hawk just buzzed the car we saw her creamy white creamy soft belly go right past our faces (laughs) and it has not happened before or since but she likes to she likes to tease us when we're together so it's definitely a dual message of some kind Hmm. another wildlife behavior pattern that is worth noting especially since they're the most prevalent beings, is human behavior. It's not something that is often looked at for divination purposes. It's not often looked at for message purposes. But humans are essential to understanding what's happening in the general area, what's happening with the genus loci and or your own safety. Yeah. Now, if a group of humans are running away from a direction, you don't necessarily want to go in that direction. Yeah. If there's a, a human who is behaving oddly, you pay attention attention because it could mean danger. Mm-hmm. Human behavior is, is, is just as important as the animal behaviors in your area. 
Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's often overlooked. Except that, as you said, Shannon, if there's a group of people moving away from a certain area, then you know that there's danger happening there. Just like you would know there was danger happening somewhere if a flock of birds suddenly flew up out of an area of trees. You would know that there's something going on over there. Mm-hmm. On an individual level, if a child is not willing to go into a place, you know there's a problem. That's very true. Yeah. If there's a group of kids who are laughing and happy, you know that's usually a very safe place. You want to be a little bit more aware because as the adult, you want to make sure that there aren't nefarious beings around, but you can be more relaxed in that setting as well. Right. You can often tell what kind of energy a place has by who likes to gather there, if anybody, Mm -hmm. and how they're acting when they're there. Mm -hmm. But magically speaking too, especially in populated areas where people are all packed together, if you are in a space and everyone in there seems just very angry and they seem isolated and they seem depressed, fall your ass out of there. Mm -hmm. Even if there's no negative energy entities in that space, the vibration of that area is the opposite of genius low side. That's going to bring you down, especially if you have problems with mental illness. Haul your ass out. Public parks in more populated areas, it gives you the natural setting necessary to find a place to relax. Right. It may be man-made, but that particular public park allows you some time and some connectivity to the world at large, the natural world at large. Uh-huh. Yes, public parks can be places of respite too from the hustle and bustle. There still might be activity going on there, but it's usually at a slightly slower pace. So you can kind of step out of the churn of the area where you might find yourself and into a space that's more peaceful. If you even have a public park that's got a playground in it, being able to sit on a swing and tap into your inner child is very good shadow work. If you are into using time travel for shadow work too, that would be a good way to bring out your inner child. Mm -hmm. Water features in parks are also really good places to sit. When I attended the Penn State Satellite Campus in Altoona, there was a water feature there. It smells like fresh, natural water, even though it was man-made. And they put lots and lots of rocks in it so that there was a lot of sound and there was a lot of rippling noise that moving water makes. Water is very soothing. In general, water sounds for a lot of people bring us back to center. They help us find a place of calm. It's not true for everyone, just like nothing is true for everybody. But in general, humans are sort of programmed to like the sound of water. So rural areas, as we stated at the beginning, are one of the first places that people think of when you talk about doing magic and genius loci. And because of that, we're not really going to talk about a lot of the typical places where you might do magic because they've been talked about a lot. In a rural area, one of the things to pay big attention to is unusual animal behavior. And it's a little bit harder to spot in rural places because there are a lot more animals around that are going going to just do their thing, waking up in the morning and finding herd of deer or a flock of Canada geese in your backyard, making a racket or eating your garden (laughs) is not unusual. (laughs) When I was young, my grandparents 
had a farm in the middle of Pennsylvania that I frequented a lot. And a few years before my grandfather passed on, they started seeing a mountain lion that would come down from the mountain at the top of the farm and walk through the garden across the driveway in front of the barn and back down into the creek on the other side of the driveway. Mm -hmm. The game warden in the area that my grandmother called said that mountain lions are not native to that area, so it couldn't have been a mountain lion that they saw. Hmm. Except that they saw it more than once. <laughs> it never bothered them, never came up on the porch, just was probably prowling around for deer or foxes or turkeys or the pigs, goats, cows, and chickens that people keep on their farms in that area. Mm-hmm. But it was significant because apparently mountain lions are not supposed to live in that area. Back during colonization days when, you know, Pennsylvania and New York and New Jersey were just colonies, we did have mountain lions in the Appalachian area. Oh, interesting. So it's kind of a leftover? It's either a leftover or memory or time portal. It could have been any of those things. But just like we used to have a lot of wolves in our area as well, we used to have mountain lions. I don't know if they came all the way up because they were like pumas, the Florida cougar. Yeah. Okay, so quick Google search says that wildlife authorities now agree, this was some years ago, that at least some cougars are living wild in the Appalachians. Mm -hmm. They used to live wild in the Appalachians before our population grew. Right. So yeah, it's amazing that your grandparents were able to see a mountain lion in that area. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this was would have been back in 2006 or 2007 mm -hmm. that they saw that. So uh, where did this being come from mm -hmm. what was it there to tell them because it was a very unusual thing to see at that yeah. time another strange encounter that i had with an animal was when i was a teen living at home and i lived even deeper in the wilds of pennsylvania and i was walking in our local public park and up out of the creek bed as i was walking the path came what I thought from a distance was a very large, strange-looking shaggy dog. On closer inspection, and when it stopped to look at me and I was looking at it, I realized that it was a young black bear. And we made eye contact. And realizing that the bear was young and I didn't know where its mother was, I very calmly turned around and walked back the way I came. The black bear cub did the same thing. But this mm. was unusual. This was not something that happened in this town. There wasn't a known family of black bears living in the area. It was very strange, especially during the day, mm -hmm. to see something like this. So again, what was going on here? What was the message for me in terms of that? The things that were going on in my life at the time and my associations with bear, I 100% needed protection and I needed reassurance that that protection was there. As an adult looking back, that's probably what was going on. My rural animal encounters were relatively normal. Chipmunk, you know, scurrying about the yard. Squirrel, he's jumping from branch to branch. Deer coming in and looking for slices of apple, which they preferred. Or they would eat carrot that we would toss towards them because we didn't really want to get too close. Black bear using our porch as sunbathing. <laughs> animals that you associate with woods of Pennsylvania acted normally for us. We had turkeys, groups of turkeys, pebbled roads and, you know, gobbling at each other. What always struck me as significantly different is when a cat, domesticated cat, who was 
just strolling amongst them as if nothing was happening. Strolling among the turkeys? Among the turkeys. Or weaving her way between the legs of the deer as they were eating. Being able to meander about the porch railing as Black Bear was sunbathing. Was this always the same cat? Nope, not always the same cat. I think it was more or less the same family or same group of cats. Same clan. Same clan. Mm -hmm. It didn't happen all the time, but when it did, it was kind of significant. How are you not getting attacked by turkey? Mm -hmm. I mean, turkey are territorial. They don't like other animals very close to them, especially when they're in a group setting. Mm -hmm. They can be very nasty, especially the female turkeys. Yeah cat just walking amongst them what was the significance of that for you do you think looking back on it it's probably has to do with my ability and or need to know that you can be from a different setting and still interact with others of different settings without causing chaos without problems arising, without there being fights or anything like that. The fact that Kat could do all of this meant that not only could I do that as well when going into different settings, that would make me nervous because not a people person. I'm antisocial, social butterfly. <laughs> but when others were coming in, there was no need to make, go into a panic because there was a, a, a stray cat coming into a gobble of turkeys. Yeah. You know, you could just as easily be a turkey interacting with cat as cat could be strolling amongst the turkeys. And there was a significant risk for cat strolling among these beings, too, because mm -hmm. a startled deer is a very dangerous animal. Yeah, and to um, be weeping amongst their legs is not the best place to be, but that's what cat did right so also be brazen it'll be okay <laughs> yes it was definitely a message of being brazen and to not be threatened by someone else being brazen either it's not a threat to you when someone else is bold be bold be brazen and that others being bold and brazen is not a threat to you that's extremely interesting another set of animal encounters to suburban i forgot about this until you were talking about the turkeys when i still worked in the corporate sphere i was working in a very very toxic work environment it was not a good work environment for me there happened to be a female turkey and one of her poults now, she only had one. Typically, they can have up to 12, but she only had one. And I would eat my lunch outside. And very often, she would come around the shrubbery very slowly and cautiously with one of her black beady eyes fixed on me and just dinosaur her way past where I was eating. And she was as tall as I was while sitting down. And in hindsight, I feel as though she was probably telling me, you belong here about as much as I do. Never approached me. She never tried to make me go away, but she was telling me, you belong here about as much as I do. About a year later, I was still working for the same company, same office, but we had moved locations. I was driving to work and there was a small flock of female turkeys, three or four of them crossing the road. And I stopped as a polite person does when wildlife is going across a back road and the female turkeys instead of calmly continuing to cross the road turned around and attacked my car mm -hmm. they were pecking at the wheels they were fluttering there were about three of them going after my car and a fourth one like behind them egging them on and again this was probably not super super long before i separated from the company it was probably about a year later not less mm -hmm. so at intervals turkeys were telling me you need <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
you need to get away from this plane. If you're not going to dinosaur your own way into this, you need to get away. Uh-huh, exactly. We're telling you to turn around. We're going to attack your car and tell you to turn around. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for joining us once again for this episode of the Metaphysical Apothecary podcast. If you'd like more magical content, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest. We also have art available to purchase on Society6, and we now have a $1 tier on Patreon. If you join us on Patreon to support us, you will receive a sigil that we crafted especially for our Patreon members. So thanks once again for being with us as we walk this magical journey, and we hope that you will join us next time as we dive into another facet of what it means to be a witch. Bye, everyone.